0: We're live. This is Ryan Dawson of the Anti-Neocon Report, and I am talking to the long-awaited, long-anticipated E. Michael Jones, professor and author, and we're going to be discussing uh, one of his many books. Also, the link to Amazon's below. We might get into several books, but what we're going to start with is the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. You may see the title says, Them, Revolutionary Spirit there's nothing wrong with saying jewish you just can't put it in youtube titles sometimes because people are hypersensitive about censorship but without further ado uh mr jones welcome to the program it's so good to have you on
1: thank you good to be here
0: i want to talk about this book i think it's an incredible work i'm sure you probably are sick of uh explaining logos and whatnot to people by now but uh i'd like to walk through we can either go Backwards from the neocons down to the apostate period, or we can start with ancient times and walk through to now, whichever, whichever you think would be more clear.
1: Well, let's let's talk about the neocons because they were the impetus for this book. Uh, All right. The, the idea uh, was there sort of floating around, uh, but when the neocons took over America's foreign policy in two thousand and then launched uh, actually in 2000 when George Bush was elected and then in 2003 with the Iraq War, uh, it was like a nightmare. It was like some type like this can't be happening. Uh, And it was happening. And so at that point, I thought we have to look into this. And the first thing you find out when you look into this is that political categories don't make any sense. So if you take someone like Irving Kristol, Irving Kristol is a conservative. Well, in the '30s, he was a Trotskyite. So, what does that mean? I mean, what what do these labels mean? They they don't have any meaning unless you connect them with the con with the concept of the Jew. These are the neoconservatism was a Jewish political movement, a messianic Jewish political movement. Bolshevism was a messianic jewish political movement suddenly we have a link here okay maybe there is a connection after all maybe it does maybe there is something that we can talk about here and that's what the jewish revolutionary spirit was about but then you face the problem what's a jew well they will never tell you there's a there's an element of mystification that goes on here and and by this point even if you ask the question you're you're tending toward anti-semitism just to raise the question is a form of anti-Semitism. It but became a negative
0: based identity. It's not a positive based identity. It's what they are not It's how they're defined sort of.
1: That's right. So there's no racial continuity here with Moses. We knew that from, from, the, uh, from Jesus Christ. Uh, what's, what's the identity? And as you pointed out, it's a negative identity. What is this negative identity? It is rejection of logos. And this was the the point where i had to use this term logos it's the greek word for reason for language for the order of the universe and it's also it was appropriated by saint john when he wrote his gospel called christ the logos god he's the beginning of the gospel is in the beginning there was logos it's really difficult to understand this because the the english translation is in the beginning there was the word I don't know what that means. I don't think anybody can uh, extrapolate from that the meaning of this gospel. Well, most of those and people then, aren't reading Heraclitus. They're not reading Heraclitus. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so so Heraclitus, John is writing in Ephesus in the time of Christ, shortly after the time of Christ. 500 years before that, Heraclitus was in Ephesus, one of the great pre-Socratic philosophers. And he started using the word Logos as the, the universe, the position, the order of the universe that everyone now, all the intelligent people, the philosophers now recognize. They were in the process of throwing out Greek mythology as an explanation of anything and coming down to what they considered a scientific explanation of the universe. And that was Logos. And that per, that, per, per, that produce to this day. Okay, that produce to this day. So John took it over and he said, in the beginning, there was logos. In other words, there was never a time when there was chaos. There was logos from the beginning, uh, and logos was with God, and logos is God, and that I think goes back to Heraclitus talking about fire. He's known for saying that everything is fire, as opposed to Thales, who said everything was water. And it, you you can look at it that in a kind of superficial. Linking him with Thales, but I think it's different because I think fire is something that's moving, and I think he introduced the idea of motion into logos. Yes, you, you can't powerful. step
0: into the same river twice, kind of thing. His fire was a symbol for change, not an element like uh, Thales is talking about liquid more than water. Right, he's saying this and, is. Uh, uh, they, and
1: they, and they talked about air, and and right. so. Uh, Heraclius comes along and talks about fire, which means, you know, the Greeks, the Greeks, when they talk about logos, tend to propose a static kind of order. I think that the, the best thing that symbolizes this is there is Euclid in geometry. It's a static order, but it's not that because it's obvious that the universe is in motion. And motion involves time and fire can encompass that. So suddenly uh, we had that notion there and St. John brings it into focus and pretty much changes the entire world. The the world changed at this point because he incorporated Greek philosophy and synthesized it with Hebrew scripture and he came up with a new explanation and that's called Christianity. And at this point in history, either you get with it or you don't. And if you don't, you miss the boat and the the, the train leaves the station without you. So there were people on both sides of the divide, like Philo, uh, the Jew, who was a Platonist, who accepted Greek philosophy, but could not bring himself to to accept Christianity's reading of Greek philosophy. And, of course, there was the other side of the coin with Plotinus and Porphyry, who were Greeks who were carrying on this tradition. They refused to accept this kind of importation of Hebrew uh, characteristics, Hebrew categories, and they refused. And so philosophy stopped. It ended, the academy went out of business, took another 500 years, but eventually the academy went out of business. Eventually Judaism became obsolete and it became a completely irrational uh, religion with the adoption of the Talmud. And the only thing that carried Logos forward from this point on was the Catholic church.
0: Well, speak about how there is sort of a new judaism there like how ver- judaism versus what it became under the new judaism after being conquered by the romans
1: yeah well uh, of course I-, I said so when you reject logos you reject o- the order of the universe when you reject the order of the universe you become a revolutionary and that's what happened almost immediately within 30 years of the death of christ we had the first rebellion which led to the uh, destruction of the temple at this point Judaism lost its contact with the Mosaic law. They could no longer uh, claim that they were uh, fulfilling the covenant which Moses had created with God because they had no temple, they had no priesthood, and they had no sacrifice. So the rabbis, uh, one rabbi at this time, recognized that this was basically the end of the old Hebrew religion, it was Yochanan ben Zakkai. He had himself smuggled out of Jerusalem under siege in a shroud. Actually, we're talking—we're we're talking about later. We're talking about the Simon Bar Kokhba revolution now. But another revolution came. It just re-emphasized the fact that there's no temple. He had himself smuggled out. At this point, he asked uh, Titus for a favor. He wanted to start a school, and he started the school at Yavna, and that's the beginning of what we now call Judaism, which is not the religion of the Old Testament. And its alienation from the the true scriptures, the Torah, which is the word of God, uh, its alienation from that was codified in the Talmud, which became basically a a polemical text, among other things, that guaranteed or uh, sought to prevent Jews from making contact with the Logos and uh, converting to Christianity.
0: And defined by what they are not which is what causes the, the need for revolutionary spirit. The only way to get people to succumb to a negative identity is to overthrow or somehow manipulate the, the powers that they are within. And always being a minority, you're gonna have this host parasite relationship.
1: Right, and I think that's, and that's the gist of the book, 2000 years of that type of history. They, they were obviously no state anymore. They were driven out of uh, Palestine but they became an agent for a revolution for the next 2,000 years. You know, you say, I say this, okay, I'm an anti-Semite. Louis uh, Israel Newman wrote a book on this. He's a rabbi. He said the Jews were involved in every revolutionary act, action, action, every revolution in Europe for the entire history of Europe. So he says it, uh, uh, he's he's right. He's right. So, you know, you could almost immediately, the Arian crisis, the big crisis coming to Christianity, is trying to understand who Jesus Christ was. Was he God or was he man? It seems that he was both. And how does that relate to each other? Well, the Arians had a particular understanding of it, which denied that he was God. The Jews like this because Arianism in this regard is very close to their brand of Judaism. So they supported Arianism as a political revolutionary movement in the Roman Empire. They, that failed, the, the Logos. So what you have is the, the axis of history is basically the forces of Logos against the forces of anti-Logos. And as as Karl Marx said, the Jews are the avant-garde of anti-Logos. They're forever creating movement. It's not that every, every person in a movement like Bolshevism is a Jew, no, of course not. Or every neo-conservative is a Jew, no. But what we're saying is this is a Jewish <laughs> almost
0: <laughs> on the last one, almost. But yeah, you yeah, see well, the I mean, communism, Jews Zionism,
1: Jews dominate these movements. There's no question about it. And without the Jews, they would, these movements would not exist. So you're right. in seeing a dominance there.
0: And even after the neocons, I mean, they're still around, but you brought up, you know, they drug, they created the second Iraq war hands down and, not just from Irving Crystal, but you know, the new generation with Richard Pearls and the Wolfowitzes and the Louis Libbywitz, what they call Louis Libby. That's who brought us to war with Iraq. And I don't think that's been parsed out enough. A lot of people blame that on oil or this or that, but we had a cabal set up a secret office called the Office of Special Plans in the Pentagon, which fabricated and cherry-picked information in order to start a war with Iraq. Post that, after that, that we've seen Libya, Syria, Ukraine, and we've seen this refugee crisis in Europe. And again, you lift up a rock and you see J you see uh, Israel Aid, and they're actually assisting refugees, migrants, uh, economic migrants in Europe. Won't take any in Israel, of course, but uh, it's a bunch of Jewish federations and Jewish organizations pushing this migrant crisis onto other people. So, yeah. which is, you know, you wouldn't have if you didn't have Libya, Syria, Iraq, and all these wars, which Absolutely. are also for Israel's behalf.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So why are we in the Middle East at all? We can buy oil. We don't need to fight these wars. These wars were fought for Israel. It's There's no question in the matter. It's not oil, it's Israel. And, uh, and if you say that, you're an anti-Semite. Libya is the jumping off point for black Africans coming to Europe now, and it's because of what Hillary Clinton did uh, to Qaddafi, She murdered Qaddafi. She, she destroyed the most prosperous country in Africa. And now the Europeans are paying the price for her destructive rage in Libya. The mm-hmm. same thing is true of Syria. The main source of uh, refugees from that uh, part of the world is Syria. And that's because after Libya, the next plan, the next country on the agenda that was established by the project for the new American century, which is a Jewish neocon project, was Syria. Mm. And so all we had that, well, that created huge numbers of refugees, and they're heading across the Aegean just as much as the black Africans are heading across the Mediterranean. And then so you have
0: Penax uh, media arm was the weekly standard, which is uh, was Bill Crystal and Robert Kagan, and then you have Robert Kagan's wife, Victoria Newland, who is the the head honcho for the NGOs that threw Ukraine under the bus.
1: That's right, that's right. So wherever you look, and that's just foreign policy. We could go into domestic policy as well. Uh, Frankfurt School, abortion, degeneracy, right. Hollywood. Monography. Monography. This is one of the things my, my discussions with Luke Ford who was uh, kind of the chronicler of the Hollywood pornography industry, uh, Led and talked about Jewish dominance in pornography. Uh, abortion, I cover that in, in uh, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. It was Bernard Nathanson, a Jewish doctor from New York, who said basically it was a, a Jewish creation. The WASP crusade was birth control. So you had people like Richard Nixon, who uh, was on board with birth control, but didn't like abortion. It was the Jews who basically mainstreamed abortion, and Roe versus Wade was basically a ratification of the abortion laws of the two Jewish strongholds in New York and California. Sexual revolution has always been one of the main issues that they promoted. The term sexual revolution comes from Wilhelm Reich, a Jew who lived in Vienna, a student of Sigmund Freud, but also a communist who understood how successful uh, sex is as a mobilizing uh, tool.
0: Do you notice the level of projection from some of these uh, intellectual figures like Freud, who's saying people are in love with their mother because he was in love with his mom and his sister? You know, it's pure projection of their own degeneracy. And what I see is I see this sort of battle between uh, lust on one side and resentment on the other. But you see people um, siding with abortion or not, or this sexual act or not, based on their own activities like people who have engaged in adultery try to justify adultery and people who are, are like have pedophile like feelings or whatever are the ones that try to justify pedophilia and you see that all the time all the way up to the highest ladder in academia and then you're teaching at a catholic college catholics which are traditionally you know anti-abortion and then lost your position because of your position on abortion, when your position on abortion was not to do it. How did that happen? Is that the feminist? Is the feminist movement goes back to Frankfurt School as well, but what was the story there? Uh, why, I mean, after the fact, was there any rational explanation for what
1: they did? No, there wasn't. Uh, I, I, uh, f- twenty. It was exactly 40 years ago I'm I'm getting ready to go to the MLA convention. I just finished my dissertation in American literature at Temple University. I went to the I got a job interview with St. Mary's College, in uh, where where I live now, South Bend, Indiana. Uh, had a folding bicycle at the time, which I bought in Cambridge, in England that summer. So I folded. I got my bicycle, rode from the. My house in Philadelphia to the train station, got on the train, got off the train in Manhattan, and rode to the hotel and carried my folding bicycle into the interview at St. Mary's with the St. Mary's professors. And said, uh, My first question was, What is the relationship between feminism and Catholicism? Since it's a Catholic college and feminism is, you know. Anyway, so they said to me, Is that a folding bicycle? (laughs) I said, I said, but I, want, I asked you a question about that. Can you unfold it for us? So the whole, the whole interview revolved around this folding bicycle, and they hired me. This, I don't know whether this is God's plan to get me into St. Mary's or whatever, but I kept asking the question about feminism and Catholicism. <laughs> I wanted to talk about my folding bicycle. So I got there, and I thought, okay, they hired me. It's a Catholic college. So I started talking about abortion and uh, birth control. And both of them were at boot subjects because the feminists had taken over st mary's college feminism was a rat a radical political movement it was a revolutionary movement the jews once again were in the avant-garde of this revolutionary movement Betty for for example and so on and so forth and they had taken over and suddenly i had to learn the hard way so i got fired one year later and the pretext was that they didn't have a pretext they, they didn't say anything OK, the, the chairman of the department came in to me the week before and she said, many people in the department are upset about your stand on abortion. So I said, OK, uh, first of all, we have academic freedom. And secondly, this is a Catholic college. So what's your next point? Well, that didn't count anything because it was not a Catholic college. It was a feminist college. It's, it's probably a lesbian college to this day. But feminine uh,
0: lesbian college is redundant. Well, <laughs>
1: Whether it was or it wasn't, this is, this is what it is today. And uh, it has basically been playing a double game ever since. When you appeal to the Catholic parents who want to send their girls to a place where they think they're going to be protected, you emphasize the Catholic part. If you're at the accrediting agencies, then you emphasize the feminist part. So it's a double game that is typical of Catholic education in our day.
0: I see with abortion and a lot of other topics, there'll be some sort of like grandstanding, you know, uh, rare situation that they hide behind. Hiding, it's a disingenuous motivation. For example, they'll say, well, if somebody's raped, should she have this baby and blah, blah, blah. That's the argument they'll make. But the reality is the main drive and the reason people completely lose their minds on this issue is they just want to be able to have sexual promiscuity. And abortion lets them do that and be irresponsible. That's the majority of abortions, right? So, But they won't say that. They won't say, well, I just want to have recreational sex. They'll say, well, what about this super, you know, this kind of weird situation or whatever? And, you know, you'll see that with many topics where uh, people about like a illegal immigrants. Well, What about this lady with her baby and blah, blah, blah. And it's ignoring the real situation on the ground of, Hundreds of thousands of people coming in to mooch off the system and live on the dole, you know. And uh, but if you oppose that, you're xenophobic. And if you oppose abortion, uh, or if you oppose pro-choice, then you're you know you hate women or something like that. And they have all these epithets: sexism, racism, xenophobia, bigotry, etc. That just shuts down
1: discussion completely. And that is pushed by whom? Well, the, the dominant media, which is controlled by Jews. The mm-hmm. Zog, Zog
0: Media completely. And I so,
1: so the reaction is there's some now comes There's an alternative. And it's the Internet. It's YouTube. And now they're they're working to to ban that. They, they, they are. They, they are. I, I did. I did a show on the Pittsburgh uh, synagogue shooting in which I said that basically for 10 years, I've been saying no one has the right to harm the Jew because that is the Catholic teaching. It's secretly secret on. For 10 years, I've been called and demonized as an anti-Semite, and they have done everything within their power to prevent my message from reaching the broad population. So I said, well, then don't be surprised if someone shows up with a gun at a synagogue, because you've been suppressing this message, okay? And then secondly, think of what message you've been sending out for 10 years abortion that's killing you just said it it's murder okay but even more recently the palace the uh, Israeli snipers shooting Palestinians is that okay
0: that's clearly murder there's no de- uh, discernment <laughs> debate about that
1: he reporter shooting women and children in the back people running away from the wall shooting them in the back is that okay well if that's okay what's wrong with this guy in Pittsburgh coming in and shooting people in the synagogue
0: shooting sure. medics and shooting the press as well and everybody lost their minds about saudi arabia assassinating a journalist and we heard that story but israel's been shooting uh members of the press since march at least three have been killed and over yeah. 250 people have been murdered by uh the self-proclaimed chosen race of god snipers uh, that, that that gas babies that burn houses that bulldoze homes that annex territory they do all manner of brutality torture murder and it's all okay. It's not in the press at all. Because the fear is, if you report Jews murdering people, that there will be a backlash of anti-Semitism. But the problem is, if you don't report on it either, you're going to have this uh, you know, boiling up where you get people like, what was his name, Browers, whatever, whatever, Bower, that shot up the synagogue. That if if someone could have reached him, because I've also been yanked off Vimeo, YouTube, etc. for the same thing. And I always say, no, you're not allowed to hurt anybody not just just whoever, you shouldn't kill people. But uh, Jews are starting to be collectively uh, blamed for the behavior of a state and the behavior of certain interest groups. And uh, I have to kind of blame them that they've justified violence and murder. I mean, they're killing people.
1: There's no question. It's a
0: a boomerang and it's happened over a hundred times. Well, you, you say
1: violence is okay then there are people who are very willing to act on what you're saying. And there are a lot of people with guns out there. And if you tell these people you're a bad person, you can't talk, you cannot talk about this type of thing, but this type of violence is okay. Well, it seems only natural that someone at some point is gonna start acting on this message. This is the real message of the media right now.
0: Well, it's also uh, that part of that revolutionary spirit to say, well, the law doesn't apply to us. We know better. We're better than you. I don't care what the law is. We need to do what we want
1: in order to meet our agenda. Well, that's that's precisely what that Jewish Immigration Society was saying. This is one of the things that he mentioned. This Jewish Immigration Society is promoting basically unlimited migration into our country. And they're saying they're willing to break the law because they are superior to the law. Well, you know, be careful what messages you're sending out here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <in my court. laughs>
0: it's ironic that one of the uh the largest i don't know about that particular synagogue but the largest like uh proprietor of refugees is j with by dr eddie friedman and it it stands for the jewish council for racial equality <laughs> <laughs> racial equality <laughs> that's what they're going to preach and yet they have jewish only colonies in uh the west bank and uh put people in internment camps in, in their own state and built a wall that's not on their border. But they're the Jewish Council for Racial Equality. It's about racial equality for you to have to accept half the third world and feed and clothe them. It, it's, 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 they couch it behind racial equality. And it's, the, it's pure hypocrisy and projection.
1: Yeah, it's hypocrisy. There's no other word for it. It's hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And the, the people are waking up to it. Even in Germany, people are waking up to it. Uh, and they're talking about this unlimited migration as an attack on their culture. And I think they're right. It is an attack on their culture. I was a, a victim, if you want to call it that, of ethnic cleansing uh, when I was six years old. I lived in a, an Irish neighborhood in Philadelphia. And uh, the blacks of in places like North Carolina, South Carolina, were being mobilized by the significant players in Philadelphia. Reverend Leon Sullivan was one of them. Uh, to bring huge numbers of black people up to Philadelphia to drive the Catholics out of their neighborhood. I talk about this in my book, The, uh, the Slaughter of Cities, Urban Renewal is Ethnic Cleansing. There is no question that mass migration can be, can be weaponized and usually is being weaponized, whether it's the boat, the uh, Cuban boat lift or whatever you wanted to call it to the crisis in, in, uh, in Europe right now, the immigration crisis in Europe right now, which has Jewish defenders. There's the famous speech by uh, Barbara Lerner Spector. Everybody has seen this speech. I don't know how many views you've had. In Here's the Jewish lady wagging her finger at you, saying that we have to teach you how to deal with immigration because we're such good assimilators of migrants. I mean, look at Israel. Look at how, mi- how many migrants they assimilate.
0: Well, she said you can't be monolithic. You're going to have to be multi-culti and uh, that's just this identity politics is just balkanizing the planet but for me it wouldn't matter it's a lot of people white nationalists and stuff will lap on into this and latch on and say oh it's about race and this and that even within the same race i wouldn't want a bunch of germans pouring into france and vice versa even though it would still be white they wouldn't be french like cultures you have a right to maintain your cultural integrity your economy And if you have the third world, regardless of what color it is, pour in over your borders with third world ideas, and they don't have the same ideas of work ethic, parenting, etc., you're not going to bring them up. You're going to knock yourself down. You do not have infinite resources. And if people are not working, that's the core thing is work ethic, which a place like Germany used to have. uh, Where I live, Japan certainly has. If you don't have that, you will not be successful. And when you have generation entitlement coming in saying, I want a free house. I want uh, I want free stuff. I want you to feed me and, my, and ten of my kids or whatever. That is a recipe for disaster. but they feel like, well no, if you don't give give away free resources and homes to people, you're a racist or xenophobic or whatever.
1: Yeah,
0: even when they rape and murder you.
1: Yes. Mm. yes and it's, it's caused it's caused the end of the Merkel government. she's not running anymore. The AFD, the Alternative for Deutschland, is a reaction to the uh, migration policy. But they've got to, They've got we've got to get to the heart of the matter here. And that's I'm on a lot of these white uh, racial talk shows. And I time every time I go on, I say it's not about race. It's not about race. It's about logos. There is mm-hmm. no word for race in the ancient world. It, it, well, I, I did. I, I was. I spent a week with uh, David Duke in Guadalajara, trying mm-hmm. to convert him to Catholicism, uh, and well, I kept trying to explain. If there's a, an ebook uh, called uh, "Ethnos Needs Logos," where you can go into see the details of my conversation with David Duke, but I'm trying to say basically, the point, the major point of organization of cohesion is your language. That is mm-hmm. the basis of ethnicity. I agree. If, if you can't if you can't talk to someone, you obviously cannot organize a culture around those that group of people. Whether you're white, you we're all we were all white, everybody in Europe was if you want to call it white, even though they didn't know that. They didn't know they were white until they came to America and then saw a lot of black people and suddenly they were the opposite. So that's where that identity came from. But, but, but back there, the basis of your identity was the fact that you spoke Hungarian. Because nobody can speak Hungarian. It's a completely non-European language. It created their identity. So I was going with Rams Paul. and Finished. It, lady yeah. from uh, Finland. Finland. Hmm. I said, what kind of language is Finnish? She said, it's a white language. No, it's not a white language. There's no such thing as a white language. It's like, like having a blue thought or something like that. So I, I said to her, I said to her what, what's, what's the issue here? What are we talking about i think we're talking about the disintegration of protestantism and i think basically in certainly in the scandinavian world certainly in england what is a white guy a white guy is basically a protestant that doesn't go to church anymore so he he had his identity as a protestant now that's completely cut off from he's looking for an alternative identity and in Scandinavia, it's this kind of Viking, the return to the Viking identity, some type of pre-Christian racial identity. But in England, it looks as if it's Islam. Lots of white <laughs> guys are converting to Islam, white ladies especially.
0: I call those uh, those type of Protestants tacit Christians, the one that show up maybe at Easter and Christmas and uh, no other time and don't really study. But they're they don't have religion and they don't have nationalism either because after world war ii no you can't be nationalist or you're literally hitler right and so there's this void and they're filling this void with you know racial identity politics and i think it's the wrong direction but i will also go on these shows and i get argued with and so on i know so you know i'd be i have a a biracial family anyway so <laughs> i live in japan i have an asian wife like i don't have a problem with uh with any of that. But I feel like a lot of these people are directionless and what used to be there with the church, uh, there hasn't been a secular replacement. They don't have a nation. They don't have a religion. They don't have any kind of uh, sense of uh, folk or unity. And that's why they're trying to fill the void with identity politics around race. I think.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's exactly it because they don't know what else to to do. So I I gave a talk on this topic in England to the, London Forum, which was basically disgruntled white guys whose country has turned against them. Jez Turner was the guy who invited me. Jez Turner was a very bright guy. He served in Afghanistan in the British Army. Uh, He learned Dari while he was in the British Army, so he's not stupid at all. But these people have just been shoved aside and they have have nothing to go on. They don't know anything. So I tried to talk to them about the Reformation. Nobody knew anything about the Reformation. What's that? You know <laughs> what is it? I, I I mentioned Jesus Christ and so like you mean I mean Martin remember. Luther King.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that Martin Luther. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a it's I blame. I mean there's a lot of problems with our educational system and and even with the internet. Like everything's there, but they spend most of the time playing first person shooter games or looking at porn or whatever. Um, but information is out there. I mean, your books are out there and you can read about the Reformation. You can read all this history. You can read philosophy. It's it's free. I mean, like all the stuff you used to have to go to university to get your hands on. You, If you're pretty good with Google, you can get it You know, for pennies on the dollar. But people aren't. And they don't even know what to look for. Like they don't even know what they don't know. And it's really sad. I see a generation of directionlessness. And it's almost like the way... With all this guilt placed on white people or being collectively condemned for what governments did, like killing Indians and having slaves. That was the action of states, not biology, you know, just like the accomplishments aren't biology, the atrocities aren't biological, biological either. I mean, this is products of markets and stuff. But the way they can, like, relieve their guilt is to turn on others and see play the victimhood Olympics. Uh, it's kind of like witch hunting. Like if you can accuse other people of racism, sexism, da, 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 da then that, that takes it off of yourself. And I see this nearly, like I've people, these NPCs or whatever, it's like a mental illness. I mean, not, I don't know if it's mental or not, but it seems like what you said that about somebody who's really intelligent but still falls for this, it's not about intellect. It's about psychology. And their psychology is way off. They don't have a real identity. Yeah feel guilty about the one you know that is ascribed to them and either they backlash you know one direction or they join the board and bash on other white people that seems to be yeah. the uh the tropes that they get stuck on
1: yeah i think i think kevin mcdonald's a good example of this
0: he, yeah, was, he, was,
1: he, was, he was a catholic boy i mean he was a catholic boy at the university of wisconsin when the jews were taking it over i mean the jews have been sent you read uh, uh, the, the book uh, Commies by Ron Radosh. And Ron Radosh was one of the Jews who had been sent by the Communist Party to take over the University of Wisconsin. And Kevin's there, and at a certain point, they, the, the revolution broke out. They blew up the ROTC building. There was an active revolutionary movement, but there was also a sexual revolution, and Kevin was a victim of the sexual revolution. And after that, he became a white guy. He exchanged his Catholic identity for a white guy identity, and so there's part of him that I think is still the Catholic. I think a culture of critique is a brilliant book in many ways. I think his analysis of the uh, the Jacob Javits Immigration Bill was also a, a brilliant piece of analysis, but it's linked up with basically a crazy sociobiological ideology that's in conflict with what he's saying, and the, the conflict comes down to the question you know what well, are jews white well they're white people who make a living by making jews white
0: well they you are know? when it's to their advantage and not when that's it's right. not no <laughs> it's, a, it's it's so an
1: important. identity
0: based on descent and you'll have different phenotypes for different jews but it's an identity based on descent and that's not how biology works so like well if my mother's jewish i'm dressed that's not reality but that it's an identity so it doesn't matter it's It was a religion. It was whoever believes in Moses and so on. It was Judaism is Jewishness. But A lot of these, you have these Ashkenazis and Maserahi, and they're from all different regions of the world. So they would be from lots of different people. But there are a lot of European Jews with blue eyes and the rest of it that if you were going to go based on DNA, absolutely are white. And there are a lot that aren't that are from the Middle East, etc. That's irrelevant to me. Their ideology is toxic, irrespective of whatever biological root they have. You have in-group nepotism, which is, you know, good for their clique at the expense of everyone else, which in the long run hurts their group, too, because it's going to cause a backlash to all the people they're stepping on.
1: That's
0: right. Through usury and the rest of it. I didn't have a good segue, but I wanted to talk about usury a little bit. Yeah, well, they've they've
1: developed these anti logos practices like usury they're shoved they're shoved to the margins of european culture and they develop one of uh, the one of the main weapons they use for destroying european culture was usury and i cover that in my book Baron metal A history of capitalism uh, as the conflict between labor and usury so for, uh, for the
0: millennials in the crowd and guys, we're doing super chat at the end. So send your super chats. So we're going to, I don't want it all interrupted this flow. So you can do that. Don't worry. We are going to get to them. But um, for the millennials in the audience, the, both of you, can you explain usury? Because I don't think they have a handle on like what that means, a compound interest and the rest of that. If you, if you can take just a minute to break it down.
1: Yeah, the short the short uh, definition as it's practice is basically compound interest. Usury is in, in any type of economic exchange, there is going to be a stronger person and a weaker person. And the stronger person is always going to be tempted to take advantage of the weaker person in an economic exchange. And that would be sinful to exploit someone economically. And the main vehicle for this exploitation has traditionally been usury. In other words, lending someone money and then making him pay back more that he lent at a rate uh, known as compound interest, which creates a kind of geometrical curve, which makes it impossible to pay back. And this is why why it's called unnatural, okay? Because there's nothing in nature that can c- keep up with a geometrical curve, okay? There's no way in the world. The best example I've, I've, I've used is in the book is the Habsburgs. came into the possession of every gold and silver mine in the new world uh in the course of the early uh 16th century and they
0: couldn't pay back six percent interest
1: (laughs) and by 1555 they could they went bankrupt because they could not pay back loans at six percent interest and six percent interest was way below what the jews were charging the jews charged normally 43 and a third percent interest
0: There's a really good pamphlet that came out in 1937 or 39. It's called the money myth exploded. And it's only like 11 or 12 pages. It's about these five guys that go to an Island. But if you want a a crash course on usury on how basically they're asking to collect back more than what exists. uh, So it's impossible to repay, get the money myth exploded. You can probably find it online for free. It was written in the thirties. I'm forgetting the author right now, but Uh, That's a nice little breakdown. Also, if you want a really detailed one, watch uh, Bill Stills' The Money Masters. That's about a three hour long documentary, but it walks through. And usury is something that was outlawed by, well, Christianity or at that time Catholicism and also Islam, but it's okay under the Protestant uh, flag and it was always okay under Judaism.
1: Uh, technically, I mean, the, the the Protestants struggled with it, too, because they recognized how bad, bad it was, but they lost the struggle. The pro- Protestantism could not hold the line in, in, in morality. It simply could not do it. And you have the, the Episcopal Church is the classic example where they don't hold the line on everything. Although I have to say that the Episcopal Church is the one organization in England that is going after Wanga. Uh, Wanga is a, a payday loan operation. Wanga is the uh, Cockney word for money. And uh, they, they took out an ad saying, it's a damnable lie to say that we charge 5,000% interest. That's not true. We've never charged more than 4,000% interest. <laughs> this is a type, type of ruthless exploitation that the payday loan operations are involved in. And the church, the, Episcopal, the uh, Anglican church, to its credit, did come out against it. But for the most part, the uh, Protestantism could not hold the line. And over the course of, uh, let's say, the 19th century in England, the Jews basically took over the aristocracy. OK, by, by lending them loaning, money. The,
0: loan their way in. I my two cents on that breakaway from the Anglican side was is all business like they did. It had very little to do with theological differences of having a direct relationship to God rather than going through this priesthood, pope and cardinals, etc., that's that rhetoric, but the reality was they just wanted to keep the money in England instead of sending it to Rome.
1: I've, the, I've, uh, the Reformation was a looting operation. I don't think there's any... In, in England, there was no ju- theological justification whatsoever for the Reformation. In Germany, you had Luther, who was annoyed at the indulgence thing and annoyed at the lots of different things, like the Fugger family yeah, and the... Get out of hell
0: free cards.
1: <laughs> the rise. The rise of the uh, bourgeoisie to the, at the expense of the minor aristocracy, all of this played a part in it. But fundamentally, it was a looting operation. It was the theft of church property and the creation of a state church to basically sprinkle holy water on the theft of church property. And, and England never could never back away from that theft. So when it came to the time of uh, uh, the restoration, When the Stuarts, the legitimate king, the legitimate heir was a Stuart who happened to be a Catholic. They simply said, the hell with it. We don't care whether he's legitimate or not. We're being in King Billy the Dutchman from uh, uh, Orange, from Holland. And that was called the Glorious Revolution. And the first thing they did was establish a bank. The Whig oligarch, (laughs) after after their revolution, established the Bank of England. And that uh, meant that they were collecting all of the money that went into the taxes and that's how they became rich and took over the country.
0: I got two more topics before super chat. I'm going to talk about your debate with Chuck Morse in, in a second, but back to that uh, libido question. Cause you wrote a book on this. Was it libido? Uh, libido sexual right. liberation
1: and political control.
0: There you go. And that was on the Amazon list below. Uh, I just started getting it through that. So I haven't read this yet, but I have heard you talk about it in interviews a little bit this is one of those other things that sort of circumvents intellect. It doesn't matter how intelligent a person is passion for most people that overrides that. And you see a right. lot of academics that will use, I mean, they're very good at the mental gymnastics, but it's just a really long justification for their own carnal urges. in in my opinion, um, but you'll see uh, this isn't, this won't be admitted like that. Of course, they'll always hide it through this, but passion is a a way to drive revolution as well as is go through sexual depravity, degeneracy um, promiscuity etc as a way of dividing the family dividing the nuclear family up uh, it's detrimental to other nations and it's preached on the outside to everybody else and you'll see every form of it even now they're pushing made-up genders like t and q and I R I don't know what the rest of it is. I mean, there's just men and women, but they've made up a whole bunch of other categories now. Uh, I thought homosexuality be the inroad. When they ran out of things to complain about, they started inventing them, and then getting mad that people didn't acknowledge the <laughs> new category they just invented. Uh, but you'll see that that passion overrides uh, any any sense of power, any sense of intellect. It's a, it's a weakness for a lot of people. And I would, I think uh, maybe you know the story of Dionysus and the king. Right. Where, do you know that story? Was it was the king? Pen- I,
1: tell it, I, I retell the story at the end of Di- my book on music, Dionysus Rising. It's okay. from the Bacchae. Yeah. It's Euripides playing the Bacchae.
0: I always liked that story.
1: <laughs> but it's but a it's very you- power, powerful story
2: mm-hmm.
1: because it shows, I mean, there's the moment in the play where the king understands the destructive nature of the Dionysian religion. He captures Dionysus and Dionysus says, no, I've captured you. And he says, what do you mean by that? And then he says, would you like to see the women dance naked on the mountainside? And the king says, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I would. So, I mean, we're all vulnerable. Uh, We men especially are vulnerable to this type of subversion because we have these powerful passions that can be, used in destructive ways, which is precisely what Dionysus was doing.
0: And you can see from both uh, early Christianity and Greek secular philosophy that purposely challenged this notion of carnal desires versus the intellect and that you're supposed to use reason to, you know, stave back these sort of animalistic uh, desires and use your reasoning to, you know, have self-discipline and focus on things that rationally make sense, they're going to be beneficial, etc., and not engage uh, in these carnal activities which are going to disrupt the family unit, etc., etc. And it appears that the default setting is to just indulge in hedonism, and that if you don't specifically have either a philosophy or a religion or both opposing that and upholding reason as a higher value, then you're going to drift into this degenerate behavior because that's might probably has some biological, you know, default that, you know, men especially, they want to be um, promiscuous. And this is missing nowadays with, uh, I would say, the secularization in certain areas. It doesn't have to be religious. I mean, Japan doesn't behave that way and they don't have the same Western traditions, whatever. but they have other things that uh, sense of Honoring
1: well, someone. it has to be logos it's got to be logos no matter what you call it and the greeks had some understanding of the uh, the relationship between reason and passion with the rider and the horse the horse is the the rider controls the horse the horse symbolizes passion the rider is symbolizes reason and you have to use will to keep that under control if you don't you're going to die and euripides the same guy who wrote the Bacchae, wrote uh Hippolytus, which is basically about a guy who thinks he can control his horses and then he gets trampled by his own horses. This is the danger. You can get trampled by your own horses if you let the thing get out of control. But the point of the the culture we live in is they know that. And they're deliberately promoting the overthrow of reason because people are easier to control in masses when they're irrational. So you can manipulate them, you can keep them, use this as a form of control, and of course there's always the element of violence that's going to come out, but we're not going to talk about that as having any relationship to the unleashing of the passion that they have used as a form of control.
0: <laughs> I, I, I like that. We can talk about that more, but I want to, while I have you, this debate you had with Chuck, uh, was it Morse? it's he pulled the it i don't know if people have seen it but you guys should go watch it it's called the catholic jewish debate with E. michael jones and chuck morse um it it seemed to me that he was pulling the no true scotsman uh adage just saying oh well those people you just named in that example you just named those aren't real jews you know every single time
1: the magical disappearing jew so every every time I can come up with something specific, people come up, he's not a real Jew. That's that's
0: Gilad Osmond's next title, the magical disappearing Jew.
1: <laughs> so I said, he said, well, he's not a real Jew. I said, I said, Chuck, if you were the Pope, if you were the Jewish Pope, I, I, I'm sure you could excommunicate all these people. But there is no Jewish Pope, and you have no authority to say that this guy is a Jew and he's not a Jew. And I think, uh, so anyway, that's that's the way that went. That was, that was, by the way, the second interview I had with Chuck. The first one I thought went much better. I thought we had a kind of meeting in the minds of the first one. And then at the end of it, he says, oh, I forgot to record it. <laughs> <laughs> so the second one, it's like which Chuck Morris is going to show up. The second Chuck Morris that shows up is very aggressive, is very dogmatic, and makes statements about, like, there's no criticism of Christianity in the Talmud. And if you look at my face, this is me trying to understand, wait a minute, there's a new Chuck Morse here. This is me. And so I, did, I didn't uh, hold him to that. Where well, there is obviously that Jesus and the Talmud, written by a professor at Princeton, talks about all of these blasphemies, all this attack on Christ. But I, didn't, I, I should have brought it up, but I didn't bring it up because I was trying to figure out where, where he was coming from at that point
0: it's almost as if he did one interview with you to see what you would say then said he couldn't record it or forgot and then thought about all that and then had a second interview where he could argue the points after knowing what you were going to do
1: <laughs> you know uh, that suspicion has crossed my mind that's crossed my mind as well but you should have chuck on it and ask him that question
0: i will i'll I'll if i can get hold of him. all right let's go to super chats uh, stan can how many do we have and can we read through some of these
2: uh, we have uh, four super chats so far. Okay. One, the first one from Zero Schizo, uh, five Peruvian souls. Uh, Ryan, hope you uh, hope to have you uh, hope to have you on my show in the future. Uh, and to Dr. Jones, what's your opinion on the con- construction of the third temple and Evangelic churches?
0: Do You have a pin- an opinion on the uh, third temple on the Mount?
1: Yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. won't happen. But more Can likely. Be- than- a basis on their attempt to reconstruct it under julian the apostate that was uh it's i discussed discuss that in the jewish revolutionary spirit
0: flames uh, from the ground yeah <laughs> they may have flames from the ground again if, the, if you've seen these tunnels under the dome of the rock uh apparently the real samson option is to blow it up from below and blame it on christians but uh that's a long tangent so uh thanks uh what uh, I'll go back and see who that was. If they want me on their show, that's fine. Um, we'll do that later. Uh, what's the next question?
2: Uh, the next one is not a question, it's just a statement from Mr. Galvanized. Juice, uh, juice, juice, juice. The next one, okay. the next super chat is from a Aku540 for 10 shekels. Race and gender is being used to have citizens of a nation divided. Do you think nationalism would keep people united?
0: Uh, like civic nationalism. Uh, is that for me or for Mr. Jones or?
2: He or, didn't specify. didn't
0: say. Do you have a take on that? That race and yeah. gender are dividing it, people?
1: First of all, race, yes. Race is the main, one of the main engines of divide and conquer in the United States of America. And if we get into that dialectic, we are helping the oligarchs, uh, control us. It's that simple. My, my, the simplest uh, explanation from my point of view, was me as a child being ethnically cleansed by Black people who were moving into the neighborhood. Were the Black people the problem? No, it was the people on top who were using these people as proxy warriors. I said, I was on a show with uh, Cynthia McKinney, the Black uh, lady who was congressman from Georgia, and I said, the Black people uh, have been used as proxy warriors by the Jews ever since the founding of the uh, Anti-Defamation League. That's what there's a black Jewish alliance out there. Okay. Murray Friedman, who was the head of the Philadelphia branch of the HAC, wrote a book called what went wrong about the black Jewish alliance. If you don't understand the black Jewish alliance, you don't understand the manipulation of race in the United States of America.
0: Uh, Who's who started the the NAACP as well. Uh, Yeah. I I think they just want to keep the Goy divided and everybody fighting with each other and not seeing uh, the puppet.
1: I think that's one of the main ways to do it.
0: All then. And uh, what was the fourth one? Oh, it looks like we got some new ones now that we started reading them, but uh, what's the okay,
2: next one? Next question from Ronnie Las Vegas for 20 Australian Shekels. Ryan, ask E. Michael Jones on why Catholics wouldn't have slaughtered Native American Indians as opposed to the prods who did. Also, is Pokemon a Jewish operation because it taught all these goy kids about evolution and Brock? Not sure what that is.
0: Well, I can't ask that because both Catholics and Protestants did slaughter Native Americans. It wasn't just one. Did now, wait a did. Now,
1: now, wait a minute. Now, let's let's back off here let's back, because I cover this in a chapter in the Jewish. Rever- in Actually, no, it's in Barren Metal. But uh, the Mi'kmaq, the Mi'kmaq, uh, let's talk about uh, the Quebec, Quebec and the Jesuits in Quebec. The Jesuits in Quebec did not slaughter anybody. The French sent over their best people to basically colonize Canada, and the Jesuits went into the forests of Maine, the ab, the uh, uh, the peninsula there, uh, and with on moose hunts, and they would uh, lie down in smoke-filled tents so that they could learn Abnaki, so they could speak to the Indians and preach the gospel to the Indians in their native language. They did exactly the same thing in Paraguay. Okay, and the movie The Mission is about that. So anyway, there's a war. Suddenly, ah, the French lose Newfoundland. Well, now the Presbyterians come over. The Presbyterians show up, and they say, you're now going to become Protestant. The Presbyterians won't talk to the natives in French. I, I'm, I'm sorry, they won't talk to them in English, much less Micmac. Okay. So the, the natives who are now all intermarried, it's an intermarried population between French and nicmac say, well, I'm sorry, but we can't talk to you. Our allegiance is the King of France and we're all Catholic, so keep your Presbyterianism. At this point, the English switched their policy to convert from conversion to scalping. They started paying for scalps. So I think it's a, it's a calumny against people like the Jesuit and the heroic efforts they made to say that they indiscriminately slaughtered Indians. That is not true. And and Paraguay and Quebec are the two prime examples of what I'm talking
0: about. Those are the best examples. I have to give some pushback on this because the Pope declared the entire New World as a division between Portugal and Spain, and they absolutely, Spanish Catholics, murdered American Indians by the millions.
1: Okay, if you want to go to Cortez, Cortez was the first... Spaniard to arrive on the continental United States. He went to Mexico, he went to Mexico City. The Aztecs were in charge of Mexico City, and there it came to a military confrontation. And if you want to say that Cortes and his people murdered uh, Native Americans, you're right. But they were in a battle, and the only reason they were able to succeed was because they had allies among all of the Indian tribes that the Aztecs had subjected and were subjecting to human sacrifice. So yeah, it's not that simple there either.
0: That is the uh, that is the classic best case example of well, the Aztecs are the evil Indians. The ethnic cleansing began in the Caribbean already. Columbus used to feed chop off people's hands and feed it to their dogs and run swords through people for practice. He said we could subjugate the entire island. It was a monstrous European colonization. There's no way to erase this. And the okay. religion had nothing that didn't stop it at all the french so no, very different no,
1: I, I i would i would say the religion did no matter what you're going to say about these excesses i'm saying that the religion had an ameliorating effect on south america that it did not have on north america I don't certainly worse that. The north
0: later but, um Mostly because of disease, I would say, but that the northern colonization continued up until the 1890s. Actually, really until the 1920s, when they had the Religious Crimes Act and the Dawes Act made it illegal for Native Americans to practice their own faiths, could put uh, spiritual leaders in prison in the 1920s.
1: All right, if you're talking about the United States of America, I'm not. I'm not defending the behavior of the United States of America. Because the Catholics the Catholic had basically no control whatsoever over policy in, 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 Ameri- in the United States of America during this period of time. This was all, uh, I mean, you could say the Protestants didn't have any uh, control over that either, but I mean directly, but it was a Protestant country. And I'm saying I, that the, attitude I'm not, um, the, native, the attitude toward the native population was different. The, uh, there was a difference between Protestant and Catholic attitudes
0: yes there was and I'm not blaming uh, either faith I blame government for all the above I'm just saying if people are going to go down that road but what was the the next question
2: okay next question another one from Ronnie Las Vegas for 10 Australian shekels Uh, he wants to know you Michael Jones's opinion on Jehovah's Witnesses he's asking
1: for a friend
0: Do you have an opinion on Jehovah's Witnesses?
1: It's a Judaizing sect, one of many Judaizing Christian sects.
0: I have, I have a fun time when they come to my door. <laughs> All right, was there any others?
2: Yes. Uh, oh, okay. Next one from Iman Puedama for five Pakistani uh, pounds. Does. E. Michael Jones agree that the term anti-Semitism is based in the genetic fallacy. The motive behind a criticism isn't as important as its true value.
1: The term anti-Semitism was created by Wilhelm Marr in 1871 uh, because Wilhelm Marr was a revolutionary of 1848 and did not want to, didn't believe in the classical Uh, christian critique of jews he was living in a a, an age that was uh heavily influenced by biological determinism and wanted a critique of the jews that would fit in with the the spirit of the times and that's where he's the one who coined the term anti-semitism it's if in its technical term it means a form of racial biological determinism. In other words, the Jew is condemned to act the way he is because he's got bad DNA. That is in effect what this is. Uh, this is the church in uh, Nostra Tate condemns all forms of anti-Semitism. Now that's a bad statement because it doesn't define the term, but what, they, what they're talking about is this form of biological determinism, which I do not accept. I've been saying this for years. No one pays any attention because th- they are determined to use this term okay because they want to associate anyone who criticizes whatever a jew does with the nazis that's why they use <laughs> the term.
0: i wholeheartedly agree i do not subscribe to biological determinism on you know such a macro level at least and as an identical twin i have a lot of i got a lot of issues with that stuff but um Absolutely, man. You said it. You said it, everything I wanted to say right there. So I have the same answer essentially for that. Um, I don't, Before somebody optic cucks us and goes, well, Semites are actually other Arabs too. And it, uh, yes, I know it's a linguistic group, blah, blah, but that you know, that's not what they mean by the term. They're talking about it's synonymous with being anti Jew. That's what it means. And I got kicked off Vimeo for that. I uh, criticized Israel, and I did it in, with a mean-spirited vibe. And because of my mean-spirited vibe, they decided that I was just trashing the Jewish people because Israel calls itself a Jewish state. Therefore, everything it does is something the Jews do. And then if you criticize Israel, you're literally Hitler and a Nazi and gas and ovens and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's it's going to come back and bite them in the ass. All right. I think there's a couple more.
2: Uh, yes, uh, next one uh, from Ronnie Las Vegas again for 10 Australian Shekels. I know Michael Jones is happily married, but will he get me pregnant to make Logos babies?
0: <laughs> you can ignore <laughs> that one. <laughs>
2: okay. Moving on, uh, next one from XXWLZXX for 2 Australian Shekels. How will it end? Where will all this lead to?
1: Oh, you God, mean. God is in charge of human history. God is the author of space and time. God can only create good. And so he allows evil to bring about the greater good. So no matter how bad the evil, God will bring some type of greater good out of it. The best example in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. That was an evil act. And then famine broke out. And then the brothers had to come to him. And Joseph said to them, The evil that you intended to do to me has been turned by God's power into good. And that is also going to be the story of human history as well.
0: There you go. Vimeo kicked me off their platform. I'm going to bounce back with bigger media. (laughs) I like Informal uh, Cyclical Cosmology by uh, Robert uh, Penrose as well, if anybody's interested. But yeah, that's a plan. Thanks uh, for the two shekels. And did we get them all? Or there's one left, right?
2: Yes, yeah, so we have the last one from Iku five forty again for ten shekels. Civic nationalism seems practical, but it seems difficult to promote with illegal immigration. Also, things like slavery and Jim Crow is pushed constantly in our school systems. Can this be undone?
1: Yes, yes, you have to. We we, we have to explain that national the nation is part of nature part of the nature that God created because it, it corresponds to language barriers. And so therefore the nation has a right to exist. And in order to exist, the nation has the right to defend its borders because a nation without borders is like a triangle without sides. It doesn't, it cannot exist. Okay, what we need to do is have some type of supernatural power behind what we're saying. That's the whole point because otherwise it's just going to kind of like white guy special bleeding and we are white guys and we don't like black guys that's not going to work that 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 if you if that's what you call nationalism it is not going to work we need to have a more fundamental understanding of the nation as part of God's plan subjected as a manifestation of logos through the most basic manifestation of logos which is human speech human speech
0: i was saying the case for european or say americans uh rather than appealing to racial categories or sexual categories or orientation categories why not identify yourself as an american not a black american a white american jew american just american with american ideals for freedom for liberty for the constitution you know and have since your sense of nationalism wrapped around in political ideology not biology. Otherwise, you're all going to be fighting with each other all the time and that's not going to help you curb illegal immigration whatsoever. I think building a wall is kind of ridiculous. I think if you got rid of the freebies, if you don't pour sugar on the floor, you don't get ants. And I also think we have to stop some of these predatory practices by the IMF and World Bank. That's one we didn't bring up. But Again, uh, guess who's in the middle of all that uh, again? Uh, Same with illegal immigration, the same with the neocons that led us to war. We see a lot of these predatory loans that cause the conditions that make the third world the way it is in the first place. And if, again, if we didn't have all these wars for Israel and we didn't uh, topple Gaddafi and we didn't topple Saddam and we didn't have a huge ISIS funded covert proxy war in Syria, there wouldn't be all these refugees flooding to Europe. So change your foreign policy, change your economic policy of freebies, and then you don't need a wall. But you can have one, but that's like last place in the things of of what you need to do.
1: I think the election of Donald Trump was a manifestation of that. When he came to South Bend, he was talking about America first. Okay, now that he's in office, we have Israel first as our foreign policy. And this is a contradiction that it cannot be resolved. It's got to be one or the other.
0: It's America first, and, and except for Israel, right? Israel gets all its demands, and you can see a sustained attack. Like, here, here's a country that is acting in its own national interest, Russia. And boy, they hate them. They blame them for everything. Putin threw a bunch of Jewish oligarchs in prison, took the billionaires in prison. What happens in America? We got Singer and Adelson and the rest of their usual you know, suspects bribing the government like a parasite into directing foreign policy for the United States. On the behest of Israel, sanctions on Iran don't benefit the United States. Going to war with all these countries doesn't benefit the United States. Financing Al Qaeda in Syria doesn't benefit the United States. Starving little kids in Yemen doesn't benefit the United States. These are all in Israeli interests. They want to circumvent the Strait of Hormuz. Y'all have heard me explain all this stuff before. If we got rid of the parasite, America's future is bright. But if we don't identify what the parasite is and how it's working and controlling, and look, it's not anti Semitic to point out other Zionists. They're the actual racists. They're the actual hypocrites. They're the actual ones that want this ethnic state and all that. That They accuse everybody of doing what they've done themselves. Classic examples Iran. They get accused of having a nuclear bomb. Who has nuclear weapons? Israel. They acquired them illegally, spied on the United States to get them. Right? Uh, who's used weapons as mass destruction? Israel. Not Iraq they didn't even have any israel's used them they use it in the Yom Kippur they use it in, well in every war since 73. they've used depleted uranium they use chemical weapons white phosphorus mk77 pnac talked about wanting biologically specific you know, targeted weapons to kill arabs and things like they wrote that like oh this is not a problem we can openly say things like this so the main problem is israel if you cut the parasite away all these problems stop we don't have any more wars in the middle east we don't have an immigration problem we we could start fixing the Federal Reserve because guess who's got eight of the last nine Federal Reserve chairmen have not been Korean. That's all I'm going to say, you know, so that's why I have boycott Israel and I support BDS. And I talk about Israeli crimes all the time because I feel like the Israeli lobby is the central parasite uh, that allows all the rest of this crap to happen. I agree. All right, then. Thank you so much for your time. Guys, get the book. Bu- oh, we have one more. Okay, it's just a thank you. Thanks for having Dr. Jones on. Uh, PIS, what's that mean? I don't know. Has issued a report. Oh, okay, PIS has issued a report. A record of passports to Israelis and rewriting our history saying they've always lived there. Yeah. Are Zionists planning to move to Poland if Israel fails? Well, it's ironic because a bunch of Zionists left Poland to go to Palestine, forced to leave, uh, with the Havar agreement and so on. And now they want to come back? I don't think so. I think they're going to try to fill uh, Poland up with uh, third world Muslims, but Poland's already said no. So looks like Poland is Poland's steadfast on not allowing that to happen. So I wouldn't worry about that. All right, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for your time. Um, I would like to have been a fly on the wall with your conversations with Dr. Duke. I've tried myself and it's hard to get through. Find
1: <laughs> the book. Read the book. You'll be you'll, a you'll fly on the wall if you read the book.
0: There you go. Is that on? It's all on
1: Amazon? Ethnos Needs Logos. It's on Kindle. It's an ebook on Kindle.
0: On Kindle. Okay, that's why I didn't see that. All right, then. Thank you very much. And Thank I'd you. love to have you back yeah. and talk about some other things. So have a good, good rest of your day. Peace. Peace.